All right. Good morning, everybody. Morning. Hope you're having a good Sunday. Um, I'm Matt, and I'm one of the service team directors here, and I'm going to be wrapping up the message series that we've been in the last couple of weeks called Relationships at the Box Office. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at some of the most popular movies that are coming out or have come out this summer and trying to find out what it is that Hollywood is teaching about how relationships work and really what the film is doing a good job at illustrating. Um, We're specifically looking at things that can kill our relationships because relationships matter. They're, They're the spice in life. You can have, you know, money, fortune, and fame, but if you don't have uh, relationships and love, you, you don't have a lot. And so God, he, he's actually saved us for relationships. He wants to give us the kind of relationships that he made us for. And so we're just looking at the films and, and trying to make the most of, of what we see and comparing it to what God's word has to say. And this week is our last week, and we're looking at a film called Jason Bourne. It's coming out in a couple weeks, uh, but it's a part of the Bourne franchise. This is the trailer. I know who I am. I remember. I remember everything. Remembering everything doesn't mean you know everything. Tell me. It's just been hacked. Could be worse than Snowden. Facial recognition got a hit. That's Jason Bourne. Why would it come back now? There's a demonstration in front of the Greek Parliament building. I think she'll use it as cover. They tracked you. We gotta move. He knows things. What if he's not coming for us? What if it's something else? I volunteered because of a lie. This is Jason Bourne. I need to talk. 32 kills. People are safer because of what you did. Uh, show of hands, how many of you have seen one of these films? One of the Bourne films? Okay, great. So you know how the, mo- the movies go. Uh, the, the CIA has trained Jason Bourne. He's, he's given his life to the government. Uh, he's really been a patriot. He sacrificed a lot, and they pay him back by trying to have him killed, by destroying his name. They were treacherous to Jason Bourne. And all through every movie, he's fighting to save his life, save people he loves, and, you know, clear his name. And so the theme or the relationship killer that we're looking at in this film and the franchise is unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness is something that all of us have experienced as both the victims and the perpetrators. Unfaithfulness destroys relationships. 
And everybody wants um, to be in relationships where people love them and are, are good to them and look out for their interests no matter what. Everybody wants love and faithfulness in their lives. But the thing is, it's very rare. It's very rare to find somebody who will love you and look out for you and do what's right for you no matter what, thick and thin, in season and out of season. In fact, in, in the Bible, God says in Proverbs 20:16, as he looks out over the human race, he says, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love. Oh, I love you forever. But a faithful man, an actual person who does it, who can find? It's rare, but we want it. Instead, unfaithfulness is far more common and the wreckage that it unleashes on the human race. So let's start by talking about what unfaithfulness is, because today we're going to be looking at unfaithfulness, its consequences, and the hope that we have to repair the damage that comes in a world of unfaithfulness in our lives. So unfaithfulness is is not being observant of a promise or a vow, uh, an allegiance or a duty that you have. It means to violate someone's trust or their confidence, to deal treacherously with someone, to be perfidious, which is a great word that I never hear. I, mean, I, I know what it means. It means unfaithful. But if you said it to me, I wouldn't know what it meant. Perfidious. It means to not perform your, your proper duty. Now, see, in a relationship, there's two sides of the coin. There's, there's the privileges of relationships, and then there's the, the duties of the relationships. So we all love it when people love us, and they're good to us, and they open their lives, and they invest themselves in us, and they let us know them in intimate ways. And these are all the privileges of relationships. But on the other side of relationships, there are duties. We have the duty of responding back. We should be loving back. We should uh, give ourselves back. And when we don't do what we should do in relationships, when we don't pay back good for good, we're being unfaithful. And in these movies, in Jason Bourne movies, you see this and the damage that it does. And uh, unfaithfulness is something that all of us experience as both the victim and the perpetrator. Now, you may be thinking, well, I'm, I'm not unfaithful. I'm a faithful person. How am I unfaithful? What are you talking about? Well, this last several weeks, we've looked at different movies and different relationship killers in each of those movies. And all of these relationship killers are forms of unfaithfulness. So, for example, we looked at the movie X-Men Apocalypse. And in that movie, we saw pride. Now, pride is a form of unfaithfulness because in a relationship, I have a responsibility. I have a duty to look out for your good, to do what's in your best interest, to love you. And when I don't, when my interest is, is going this way and your interest is going that way, and I put myself above you when I throw you under the bus, which is the phrase we use in our culture. I'm being unfaithful. We looked at Now You See Me Part 2. We saw how deception and hiding ourselves, trying to control information people get about us so that we can control them, the damage that does. Because what we're doing when we don't let people know who we really are, but we're enjoying the privileges of intimacy and relationships, is we're defrauding them. And when they find out that we've been lying, we've been keeping secrets, They feel really wounded because we've been unfaithful. We looked at Dory and the power of words. You know, when you let people close in relationships, you're vulnerable. You know, they could really, they could really hurt you. And when you let people close, you're really trusting that they're going to be good to you. And so oftentimes it's the people closest to you who can really cut you with reckless words, with, with sarcasm, with harsh words. And you don't let people close to hurt you. You let people close because you're expecting them to love you and be good to you. And that is another form of unfaithfulness. So whether it was Tarzan and manipulation or the secret life of pets and selfishness, each one of these things are different ways that we, the human race, can be unfaithful. And we saw the damage that they do. And that's why it's amazing that nobody solved this problem. 
Because you can't find a country or a nation or a generation that you don't see the wreckage of unfaithfulness. And everybody knows what it's like to be a victim of betrayal. Everybody knows what it's like to let people down and be unfaithful. And yet we keep doing it generation after generation, century after century. It never goes away. It just plagues the human race. You don't have to read the Bible to know this. You just look at look out the window. You look at our lives. We see the wreckage of unfaithfulness. So why? Why don't we choose to be humble and loving and put others first and lay down these weapons of unfaithfulness? And I think if you're honest, if we're honest, the reason why is because when mankind looks at the world and they look at the life that they live, they're convinced that unfaithfulness is what it takes to survive in this world. In the real world, you've got to be unfaithful sometimes. Because look, you're on your own. It's just you. You know, maybe you have some alliances, but mostly you're on your own. And so it's dog eat dog. You've got to get what you need. You've got to get what you deserve. So you don't really have relationships. You have partnerships. You can get married, but you better have a prenup because you can't really trust this person when it goes south. You can't trust them to be faithful to you no matter what. You can have a business arrangement, but you better have an ironclad contract because when it goes south, you can't trust this person. We have come to live and expect unfaithfulness in this world. And so as you come to the the church and you, you hear people preaching like me and Thad and Randy and Alex or whoever's speaking, and you hear us talk about be humble and put others first and and, you know, love people. It's probably easy when you come out of the world to hear, yeah, yeah, but that's not how it really works. That sounds good on Sunday. But you see, in my life, you don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. You don't know my boss or my coworkers. If I did this stuff, putting others first, using helpful words, being open and honest, being humble, they would eat me alive. What world are you talking about up on your stage? Because on Mondays and Tuesdays where I live in the real world, where my resources get low, where my opportunities are fading away, where what I want is on the other side of your best interest, when push comes to shove, i got to look out for number one. I mean, come on, even airline pilots will tell you, put on your mask first when the plane is going down, then help other people. So you got to look out for number one in this world. We have come to expect it. We have come to accept it. But then we look in the rearview mirror and you see the wreckage that it's unleashed in our personal lives and in our culture. And you know what kind of world that is? That's the world you see in Jason Bourne movies. It's a world where your face looks like this, grizzled, hard, the older you get. It's a survival of the fittest world where you just got to survive. I mean, think about Bourne movies. They don't end with Bourne riding off with his family and his kids to go have a nice life of peace. It just ends with him limping out of a car accident, bleeding away. And that's how it ends, because he just survived. That's the goal of the film. He survived. Yes, he survived. That's the world of unfaithfulness. It's a world where you avoid pain, you minimize loss. It's a world where fighting and conflict, that's just how it is. It's normal. People are after you, you're after them. Yeah, we get in fights. Everybody fights, right? That's just how it is. And then you live in this world and it just creates this hopelessness. And if you just keep your head down and you keep moving, just like in a Bourne movie, you can kind of avoid it. You can kind of not think about it. But if you ever get by yourself, if you ever get a little time away, if it ever gets quiet and you start reflecting, you see the damage, you see the wreckage, your heart starts to ache. And this is the world of unfaithfulness. And the damage it does to the victims and the perpetrators, it it just warps your soul. So if you're the victim, if you're the victim of unfaithfulness, if somebody's burned you or broken your trust, it's really hard not to just cut them off 
and leave them in the rearview mirror. Because in your head, you hear voices like, you know what, they're just going to do it again. I can forgive them all, all day long, but they're just going to do it again because this is who they are. And I'm just not going to, I'm not going to keep giving. I'm not going to just keep putting myself out there when they keep repaying you this way. And so you cut these people off and it begins to shrivel your life. You begin to shrivel over time. I know a guy whose brother died. His only relative that was left alive. He died and the family didn't even tell him. He didn't even get to go to his brother's funeral. The way he found out was somebody from back in the day, some friend from way long time ago, called him up and said, hey, I'm sorry about your brother. What are you talking about? You didn't hear? He's gone. That's how he found out his brother died. Doesn't that break your heart? But you could all line up on this stage and tell stories like that yourself. You know people that are experiencing. And what this is, is why? Why did they do that? Why did they not tell him? Because they were the victims of unfaithfulness. That's what they felt like. They felt like they had been treated unfaithful in the past. They had been defrauded of some money. And so that part of the family, it doesn't matter that the better part of a century was spent living with these people, loving these people, holidays with these people. They're done. They're dead to me. And they cut them off. And their life shrivels. Because they're the victims but they're just, they're, they're not going to let this happen anymore. You see it in marriages. You know, you get married, and when you get married on the altar, and you got your tux and your beautiful dress, and you look each other in the eyes, and you say, I'm going to love you and honor you and cherish you till death do us part. And you mean it. You mean it. You want it. You want that. But then fast forward 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and the marriage is dead. It's shriveled. Why? Why does she live on one side of the house, and he lives on the other? She lives on one side of the life, and he lives on the other. They have joint bank accounts, they share meals, but everything else is dead. Why? Because of a long train of abuses and wounds where he felt like she was unfaithful, and she was treacherous, and she hurt him, and he hurt her, and neither side wanted to give, and so they get into their battle stations, and they put up their walls, and the relationship shrivels and dies, both feeling like they're the victims of unfaithfulness. You know this is true. You see this everywhere. This has been true for the human race from the beginning. And then if you're the perpetrator... If you're the person who's actually unfaithful, it just starts to erode your self-respect because you keep seeing in the eyes of the people that you love that look like, and it just guts you. And you see it in your relationships and you feel, I felt like this with God. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when I first became a Christian, I thought all my sins in the past forgiven, but the sins going forward, well, we'll see. And so I would sin and make a mistake and ask for forgiveness and forgiveness and forgiveness and keep doing it again and again and again. And I just got to the point where I'm hearing voices saying, what kind of person are you? God doesn't like you. How can you keep doing this again and again and again? And I, and I just go off and I hide and I'm on that shame merry-go-round where I don't want to talk to God and I just feel really bad. So I, I kind of punish myself. And then when I feel better, I come back and then I make the same mistake and I go back And it just erodes your relationships with God. It's not him. He's not saying this. Those aren't his words. But that's how you feel. And when you look in the the faces of the people that you love, and you see this look like, come on again. It just starts to hurt you and give you the sense of, what's wrong with me? Why can't I change? I remember I had a teacher in high school. I had this great high school English teacher. She was great, man. I broke my knee my senior year, and I had to have surgery. And I had to miss a bunch of school. And so... She gave me all these extensions on assignments. She would drop the assignments. She was so accommodating. 
and I totally took advantage of her. I was off partying with my friends, and I would tell her, oh, I was at a hospital appointment, or I was homesick. And I'll never forget the day that I found out that she found out. I felt like I, I, felt like I was going to throw up. A friend of mine told me that she knew, and I was just tingling with guilt and shame. And I just, I had to do something. So I, I, I rushed to her room. It was after class. It was like 3.15, and I got there. And I couldn't talk. I was crying. I, I was so ashamed. I didn't know what to say. And when I walked in the room and I could see the look in her face, it was I had wounded her. And here's the sad story. After that situation, my senior year, I saw that look in the face of people again and again. I saw that look in my dad's face. I saw that look in the face of my friend Aaron's mom who loved me and I betrayed. I saw that look in the, eye, the eyes of my face, Cal, my coach, when I, when I let him down again and again and again all through my life because I was unfaithful. And so what happens over time is you just decide, you know what? I'm trying to change and I can't change, so I'm done. This is who I am. This is who I'm going to be. I've made my peace with it. And you just get hard. You just give up. You say, you know what? This is who I am. And if you don't like it, you're going to have to find somebody else because this is who I am. And people just get hard. They get hard and they shrivel. And this is the wreckage, the damage of unfaithfulness. And it's on the page of every history book. And it's in the photo album of every family. And we know it because we've been both the victim and the perpetrator. And so what's the hope? How are you going to walk through the wreckage? There is no hope. There is no hope in a world without God. On your own, on your own resources, you will never change your character. On your own, on your own resources, you will never muster up the goodwill to repay Bad for good. Faithfulness for faithless again and again and again. There is no hope in this world without God. And that is why Jesus Christ and his cross is such good news to everyone who understands it. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ is taking all the old and warped things and he is making them new. He's taking all the wreckage caused by unfaithfulness And he is repairing it. He's taking the things that we've broken in our personal lives, in our culture, in our country, in history, and he is fixing them. That is what the cross means to us as Christians. Why? What is that? How come? Why does the cross mean that? Well, I don't know what your origin story for the human race is, but I can tell you what God has told us. In the beginning, God made a good world for good people to spend all of time with a good God with them and with him. Working with God, loving God, walking with God. That was what he wanted. And we repaid his faithful love with treachery. We repaid good for bad. We, we rejected God. We said, we're going to go it alone. We're going to be the kings of this earth. We're going to rule ourselves. We're going to be our own gods. And we rejected God and his love. We repaid his kindness with treachery. And as the centuries went on, the human race continued to spiral into greater and greater degrees of death and war and pain, greater and greater selfishness and pride and violence. Because what happens is in our culture, in America, we live our lives like God doesn't exist. He's not on television. He's not on movies. He's not in our conversations. He's not taken seriously in our schools or in our government. You know, it's just, let's be real. God is an afterthought. It's a God bless America at the end of a speech. He's not in our lives, in our culture. We live our lives as if he doesn't exist. 
And yet he is the one who is faithfully taking care of the human race, continuing to provide for the human race. He's the one holding the atoms together in your body. We don't ignore, we just ignore him. And then there's the people in our lives, people he made that he loves and we hurt them. And we tear down the people he loves and we take the world that he gave us and we abuse it and we vandalize it. And all of this adds up to a human race that is actively tearing down the good things that God is trying to build up in this world. Now, what does a human race like that deserve? They deserve to live in the hell they've created. They deserve to experience the sting of their choices. They deserve to just be left to the consequences of their choices. But that's not what God does. God looks at the wreckage of our sin and he repairs it. He atones for our iniquity. And so in Proverbs 16, 6, it says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Now, you may read this proverb and think, okay, I've been unfaithful, and I'm going to go be steadfast and loving, and I'm going to atone for my sin. And that's, that's not how this works, because you're never going to be good enough. You may have a good month or a good year, but you are going to blow it again. The steadfast love and faithfulness that atones for iniquity, that repairs the wreckage, is the steadfast love and faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Because on the cross... What Jesus did was he said, all the wreckage, all the damage, all the pain, give it to me. And the love and the joy and the eternal life and the peace and the, and the reconciliation that I have and deserve, give it to them. God wrapped Christ with the sins of the human race, with all of the wickedness in our lives, all of the acts of unfaithfulness that deserve punishment. They do. We punish criminals. We discipline our kids. We get fired from jobs. There's consequences in the world of man. But all those things that we deserve, they're wrapped around Christ on the cross. And then God pours it out on him so that the life and the love and the hope and the restoration that we need can be given to us. And by his love and his faithfulness, our sins, our wreckage is atoned for. That is what the cross means to us. And it's available to every man and every woman of all time. Think about that. Why did God do that? Because you deserve it? Because I deserve it? No. Because he loves you. Because he doesn't want to live eternity without us. And that's why Paul writes to the Romans... But God, but God has demonstrated his own love for us. He's shown us just how much there is. It was while we were still sinners, while we were still faithless, that Christ died for us. This is the good news. This is what the gospel means. This is what the cross means to us. So what should we do? What should be our response? What should people, mankind do, who understand what God has done in Christ? <clears throat> we should respond with faithful love to those around us. As victims who have been wounded by unfaithfulness, we should always repay with faithful love. We should forgive, both inside the church and outside the church. Christ wants to create a new humanity characterized by faithful love, just like him. And so Paul writes to the Ephesians, a church like ours. He says to these people who have been burned by other people, who have been victims of unfaithfulness who have been 
perpetrators of unfaithfulness. He says to them who have given their lives to Christ, who have been reborn, he says, you guys let all that bitterness and all that wrath and all that anger and clamor and slander, all that stuff you feel from how they treated you, put it away along with the malice the ill will that is boiling inside of you from a life living in the wreckage of unfaithfulness. And instead, be kind to one another. But you don't know my husband. You don't know what he did. Be kind to one another. But you don't know my, my family. You don't know my coworkers. Be tender-hearted to them. What? How could I ever have a tender heart to somebody who did that to me? Forgive one another. I can't. How could I? Because God in Christ forgave you. Because God in Christ is tender-hearted to you. Because God in Christ was kind to you. While you were still sinners, God was these things. And he is this kind of person, and he wants to make you that kind of person too. He wants to make you that kind of person. And you can be that kind of person. As you walk with Christ through your life, he will transform you into the kind of person he intended the human race always to be. A person who can respond to all forms of unfaithfulness with tender-hearted kindness and love. And not just for us inside of the church, not just here at Church in the Valley as brothers and sisters who know the truth about the gospel, but we are supposed to grow in ever-overflowing fountains of loving faithfulness so that it pours out into the world to people who don't even know God yet. And so Jesus says to his disciples, he gives them this highlight reel of what it would look like if your life was characterized by the kind of love and faithfulness he's talking about. He gives this highlight reel of these situations. You can't even believe somebody would respond this way. Here's what he says. He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, let him slap you on the left cheek. If someone takes you to court to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if one of the occupation troops, if one of these Roman soldiers who are occupying your land, abusing your family, stealing your labor, if one of these people forces you to carry their backpack a mile, which was the legal limit a Roman soldier could force a Jew to carry their backpack at this time, if he forces you to carry his backpack a mile, then at the end of that mile, you look down the road, and if he's still got another mile to go, you look at that Roman soldier and say, Are you still going another mile? Because I could carry it the extra mile. I could go the extra mile for you. Now, when you hear this, this sounds crazy. What, am I supposed to be a doormat? Am I supposed just to lie down and let people step on me? That's not what Christ is saying. What he is doing is he is showing you highlight reels of what it would look like if your life was characterized by the love and faithfulness that he's talking about. You see, the reason why you can turn the other cheek The reason why you can give your jacket as well, the reason why you can go the extra mile is it may be in these situations, it may be that that is what is best for these people. And if it is what's very best for this person, you're willing to turn the other cheek. If it really was in their best interest to give them your coat, you'll give it to them. If it really was in their best interest to go the extra mile, you're willing to go the extra mile. These aren't commandments as much as they are snapshots of what it would look like, the extent to which you will go to do good for other people, to be faithfully loving to other people, even to the point 
where you would turn the other cheek. This is who he wants to grow us into, these kinds of people. And so Jesus, he doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. He actually shows you, by example, what this looks like. And so on the cross, while he is being nailed to a wooden cross, being murdered, he prays for the people who are murdering him. While they're killing him, he's doing good for them. He is faithfully loving them. That's how he responds to the faithlessness of these people. Can you imagine that? Who can do that? And so it says, when they came to the place called Skull, they crucified him there along with criminals. One on his right and one on his left. And then Jesus said, Father, take these people out. Then Jesus said, you're going to get yours. You're going to get yours. Then Jesus said, while they murdered him, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. This is the kind of person Christ wants to transform us into. These are the kinds of people that God intended the human race to be. And these are the kinds of people that we can become in greater and greater degrees as we walk through life with Christ. And so when people do wrong to us, we can respond in loving faithfulness. And this is the only thing that will clear up the wreckage of unfaithfulness in our world. So you might be hearing this and thinking, this is crazy. Turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I could never do that. I could never be that way. I don't even want to be that way. And the truth is, it's impossible in our world to just make yourself do this. So what you have to do is you have to choose to train aggressively under the coaching of Christ in the gym of Christ. You have to decide to train aggressively. See, Christianity is not a passive thing. Christianity is an active thing. It's something you give your utmost to. You have to train to transform and become the kind of person that Christ is talking about. And so this is a picture of Sam Sam. Go back one to the guy. This man is a competitor on American Ninja Warrior. How many of you have seen American Ninja Warrior? Real quick. Hey, great. Sam Sam, right? Everybody's favorite guy. So he competes every year. If you're not familiar with American Ninja Warrior, it's this incredibly difficult obstacle course. It has three different phases. And if you can get it through this obstacle course because you have incredible physical ability, then you can win a million bucks. And it took like forever for somebody to beat this thing. Last year was the first year somebody actually got a million bucks. Anyway, this guy, Samson, he is a competitor. He is a guy who can do amazing things on that obstacle course that I could never do. But he's also a coach. Samson has a gym in Houston, Texas, where he trains all the top competitors on American Ninja Warrior. And they have voluntarily moved from all over the country, leaving their jobs and their family and their friends. They've moved to Houston to be with him so he could coach them and teach them how to do things that no mortal man can do, like swing from weird things in American Ninja Warrior. And so when you watch American Ninja Warrior and you see Sam Sam swinging through the trees and all over the, 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 the machines and he's climbing up these ropes, you're thinking, how does he do it? How does he do it? Did he just wake up one day and he could do it? No, he had to train He had to get into the gym and he had to begin to discipline his body. He had to begin to exercise so that he could become the kind of person who in these very difficult situations could accomplish and defeat this this course. Now, this is the kind of relationship, this coaching relationship, 
where someone's going to teach you how to do these things, how to become this kind of person that Christ wants to have with you. Jesus Christ wants to be your coach. He wants to transform you into someone who can respond to faithlessness with faithfulness, who can repay hate with love, just like he did, just like he does. This is what he wants to do. And he's been promising this kind of relationship with the human race for thousands of years. Hundreds of years before Jesus Christ left heaven and became a man, he was already telling the human race, this is the kind of relationship I would like to have with you when I show up. So in Ezekiel, a book that was written hundreds of years before Jesus came, in Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, here's what Jesus says. He says, when I show up, I will give you a new heart. I'll give you a new wanter. And I will give you new and right desires. You don't want to do this, but I will give you the desires to do it. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out this stony, unfaithful, shriveled, and hardened heart that you've grown in this world of wreckage. I will take it out of you. And I will give you a new heart of love. And I will put my spirit within you. I will live with you so that you will be able to obey my laws and turn the other cheek and go the extra mile and pray, Father, forgive me for I know not what you do. And you'll be able to do whatever I command. I will transform you. I will be your coach. That's what he wants to do for everybody. And that's what he's doing in the lives of Christians if they train. Because the thing about the gym, go ahead and show the picture of the gym. There are a lot of people in the gym who are working out, but I have some other pictures I was looking at where there are people standing in the gym with their phone just going like this. And they're looking on Twitter and they're dressed like I am. And they come to Sam Sam's gym because they love to watch all these amazing athletes train, but they're not training. And so they can't do the things that these people can do. But wait, wait, they would, they've been in the gym. They go to the gym every day. Yeah, but they don't train, so they don't change. And you can be a Christian for your whole long life, but never train, never sweat, never actually work. What does that mean? Well, how does Sam Sam and all these guys get good? They do exercises. They do disciplines. They they engage their bodies. And as Christians, we have spiritual disciplines. We have to begin to read the Bible in greater and greater degree and spend time with God so he can coach us. We have to begin to learn to hear his voice. We have to abstain from things as Christians, just like athletes abstain from things. We have to begin new habits that we've never had, like serving and giving and being open and honest. We have to repair weaknesses in our lives, like athletes sometimes have to repair their bodies. We have to go back and reconcile, ask for forgiveness. There's all sorts of things you do to receive the power of Christ under the coaching of Christ. And you can stand in the gym for years and never change. And you can be a Christian in the church for years and never change. Because he's not your coach. He may be your savior, but he's not your coach. And so you can't turn the other cheek. You can't forgive. You hear messages like this and they haunt you because it's not your experience. But it's because you're not training. And so you also have to join the gym. You don't do it by yourself. You need a gym. You need a place where there are people who can model for you, who can encourage you, who can show you what it looks like to do it. Older brothers and sisters who can come alongside and support you. And you know what? Anything worth doing is worth doing as a group. The best things in life are built by groups and teams. And so when you join the church, when you join the gym of Christ, and everybody's working on the same project, which is transforming ourselves to be like Jesus... As you work out together, you actually grow. I was a part of a group this last spring for about three or four months, me 
and, uh, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 other people. We worked out together. Some of us were working out in our marriage. Some of us were working out on anger. Some of us were working out on our, our parenting. And we worked out together and drew on Christ's strength. And as we trained, we got stronger in transforming. Because that's what you do in the church. You begin to train with your brothers and sisters under your coach Christ by the power he gives. And as you walk with him through your life, you begin to look back and you can see that you're not bitter. You actually forgive. You want to reconcile with that person. You never did before, but you do now. And he actually starts to change your moral character so that you can be faithful -er. You can be loving more than you were. This is the hope that God offers to us in Christ. And so Peter says to the church, when he looks back over all of it, he says, in 1 Peter 4, 8, he says, Above all, you should be loving each other deeply. Deeper and deeper love should characterize this new humanity. Because love has covered over a multitude of sins, and love does cover over a multitude of sins, and love will cover over a multitude of sins. But I don't feel love towards them. That's normal. You're normal. Christ will give you a new heart and a new spirit and a new desire if you ask him to, if you allow him to be your coach, but it's your choice. And so what's going on in history is that Jesus Christ is trying to repair all the wreckage that has happened to his people. He wants to redeem the human race, and you're a part of that. If you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Christ, then you're one of these people in white. And you are connected to all sorts of people out there, out those windows, who want love and faithfulness, who want to not be shriveled, who want to not be hard anymore, but they don't know what to do. And you can reach out to them and love them and invite them to come into the gym to tell them about your coach. And he will save them the way he saved you. And they will be added to this new humanity And that is what God is doing in human history. This is what's behind human history. This is the big story that we're a part of. Because God, through his love and faithfulness, has atoned for our iniquity. And he wants to take away the wreckage and make it no more. I think that's awesome. I think that's an amazing calling. I think that's a lot of hope put out in front of me. That even if I fail, I can be forgiven and I can get back up. And my coach and my gym, we can work together to transform. My family doesn't have to be characterized. My kids' lives don't have to continually have the same junk that my life has or my parents' life has. God can redeem over time the generations in my family. That's a great idea. That's a great promise. And so, what can you do? What is uh, your next step? Take out your connection card, if you will. And uh, the band, go ahead and come on up. And I'd like you to take a look at... um, some things you can do. If this has resonated with you, if you, if you realize, wow, I, I haven't really been training, or I'm not even a Christian, but that sounds good, and I'd like to be, but I need more information. Or if you're, you are a Christian, you are training, what, what, what's your next step? Well, first of all, training goes on in the church in lots of ways, but one of the easiest ways to get plugged in is through groups or teams. But for many of us, our lives are too busy. And so groups and teams are going to be starting up in the fall. Not now several months from now. And I would encourage you, if you want to begin to train, if you want the coaching of Christ so that he can transform you more into a loving, faithful person, so that he can restore the wreckage of unfaithfulness, prepare your schedule. Clear your schedule a little bit so that you can join a team or join a group. Number two, 
Maybe you have a relationship where you've not been faithful, where you've broken trust. Well, go clear it up. Go make it right. And if you don't know how, if you feel like you have a character problem, there's just, you just keep making the same mistakes. And man, I got character problems. We all got character problems. We're all in repair. Then get coaching, get help. Ask a brother or sister, hey, let me tell you what's going on. You have any thoughts? And number three, maybe you think of a way that someone who's been unfaithful to you recently, what's a way that you could repay their unfaithfulness with loving faithfulness? I don't mean put yourself in a vulnerable position. Don't get yourself hurt. But there are lots of ways we can be good to people who are not good to us. And that's the way of Christ. That's the way of the cross. So who is that today for you, tomorrow, this week? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and love. We thank you for how you forgive us and how in Jesus Christ our, our, our iniquity is atoned for through your loving faithfulness. And we pray that, God, you would help us to train, that you would give us um, a new heart and a new mind and new desires because we need it. And we just ask, Lord God, that as our lives go on, that they would be characterized by greater and greater loving faithfulness, by wholeness and deep relationships of peace. We want that. We know that you give that to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.